Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 58 of Pixel Feet Radio. I'm here with my friend Stephen Colby. Stephen, how are you doing today? Oh, great. Good morning. How are you? It's morning to you. It's, uh, it's pretty much afternoon here because you are in the middle of everything, man. Palo Alto, California. You just told me before we even started recording that you live right between Apple and Google. Is, is that correct? Yeah, it, it's about a... a 15-minute bike ride to either one of them. That's amazing. That's so cool. Google's a little bit downhill, so it's faster. Do you ever sneak in there and just get the free food? I, I totally would. No, but I've been there. <laughs> I've done stuff and visited and gotten the free food. Uh, you know, back in like 99, I told my wife uh, that she should go to work for them because they were having free food. And that was, you know, a year or so after they started. She said, nah, stick with IBM. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, you know, it's like I told my dad uh, back then to buy some stock on Google and Yahoo and then Amazon. And of course, he didn't listen. And now he regrets not listening to me. But what do I know? I was just, what, 13 at the time, 12 at the time, uh, yeah. you know? <laughs> so I don't blame him. But uh, for those of you that don't know uh, Stephen here, he's actually a partner at uh, uh, Ramon Law, which is, uh, I guess now it's kind of a virtual firm, but you're still in Silicon Valley and you, and you specialize in, in startups and patent, you know, patent law, which, uh, you know, a lot of people are always kind of confused about. So I really wanted to talk to you about that. But before we get into that, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? I mean, did you always knew that you want to be an attorney or were you one of those like at one point it's like I got to figure out what I want to do with my life <laughs> you know no 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 let me let me see I was I was uh I was a scientist okay you got to have the wait the the Einstein you do you have the Einstein look going on <laughs> you like that you got to have it up there I, I went I went for for Halloween I went as I Doc Brown <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah I, I was a scientist and I was the CTO of a company for most of the 90s uh, you know getting products out the door hitting the trade show floors you know that was kind of my bed and brother I really loved it I like to travel uh, it was a lot of fun I like to sell things that's really uh, good good activity and um i was an inventor too i had a couple a bunch of patents and uh so in 2000 uh my wife was saying don't travel so much get you know stick around a little more and uh sure enough i there was a, a law firm that was hiring and they'd hire anybody and so they hired me as a technical writer you know with a phd and i became what's called a patent agent 
Uh, and a patent agent's not quite an attorney, but it's somebody with something that somebody with a technical background can do. They have to study and pass an exam, and uh, that gives them the right to practice patent law. Uh, and it's a pretty, it's a fun thing to do. Uh, you can become a patent examiner at the USPTO, and that's a good way to learn a lot. Um, they're always hiring. So somebody with a technical degree, uh, you know, in chemistry or engineering or, or even uh, biosciences, can get an interesting job there. And so that was the beginning. Then I went to night school at UC Santa, uh, Santa Clara University. And uh, it was a pretty intense few years going working full-time and going to school, law school. And uh, But then I came out of it, you know, both a scientist and a lawyer. But I really like, I'm still a product guy at heart, which makes being in Silicon Valley a lot of fun. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. I mean, you get to be around, uh, you know, all these tech companies that are basically changing the world. Um, and then, I mean, I'm sure you, you get to hear all these crazy ideas <laughs> that come to you. You do. And, and the thing I like about it is I get to do different thing every day. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I have worked on advertising equipment for escalators, right? The putting ads on the banisters and dog collars and remote control vibrators and, <laughs> you know, everything you can, all kinds of apps. A good part of what I do is apps. So my phone is full of client apps and um, <clears throat> you know, that's pretty good. Uh, you get to do, you know, every, on this typical day, I'll do two or three completely different technologies. Today, I'm going to do a bioscience thing that came out of UC Davis. And then I'm going to probably do a AR VR uh, headset for Oculus. That's really cool. So uh, Oculus, Oculus is owned by Facebook, which I was complaining about right before we got in here because I was trying to get campaigns going. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't even know where to start because I have so many questions. But there's okay. So the number one question that people ask me all the time when they have an idea for a product is, should I get a trademark? trademark or a patent for it every time I get an idea. And my answer, and please tell me if I'm completely wrong in this, this is just me and I'm not an attorney, I'm not a lawyer, so this is just my personal opinion. So, and I tell people this, it's like, you know, back when I was, you know, when I had all these crazy ideas when I was younger and I, younger and I was trying to start business, that's, you know, our instinct is to protect ourselves and everybody tells you to protect yourself. So. You know, at first, like, I have an idea. I have to trademark it. I have to get a patent on it and blah, blah, blah. But then you look into that and the costs are just ridiculous to get it done, you know, the right way, at least, right? You can try to do it yourself, but if you're a patent lawyer, good luck. Have fun with that. Uh, but two, you know, if, if it's not a proven business, if it's not a proven product, if it's not a proven anything, and you're not one of those huge tech companies, at that point, I don't even think it's worth it. Like, who's going to steal something from you that doesn't even exist yet, you know? I, I tell people, just get in the market. If it gets traction and you see the traction, you know, that it's gathering that traction, then go for it and then start investing on a patent, trademark, and all that stuff. Now, am I 100% wrong or? No, you're really pretty close. I mean, you have a good idea. It, the business model of, oh, I have a great idea, I'm gonna patent it, and people come walking to my door, uh, throwing money at me is just, Fantasy, right? And and there are companies that try to sell that to you, uh, you know, and you'll see TV ads for things like that. But it's that is the ideas are out there. There's a lot of good ideas, uh, but ideas only a couple of percent of a business, right? Or of of actual money in your hand. 
there's a lot of work between the idea and everything else that you see. So it is a big step to go from, uh, oh, I have an idea. And, and the people who have ideas, who invent things, they tend to not just do one, right? They'll do one a week. Uh, you know, and, the, and the question is, what's the filter? So patents can be really expensive wallpaper. I mean, like, it's, that's what I call it, expensive wallpaper. When I, somebody comes to me and says, oh, I have a patent. I have this idea. I want to patent it, and I'm going to sell it to all these people. It's like, eh. You know, um, you know, try selling, you know, here, here's the steps you can do. And I'm mean, in a minute, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about really what somebody can do to protect themselves when they're, they're at, at that stage. And so there are a couple of organizations. I've worked with an organization that was out here that I met through clients. Um, uh, and I've done uh, events for them. And they're called EventRite. Um, they're no longer in California. They're now in the Midwest. But they're actually an organization of inventors who really commercialize things. And if you go to their meetings, you'll meet people that will talk to you about their experience on QVC or what it's like to sell to Walmart or their 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 nightmare of having a shipping container show up on their driveway with returned goods from, from Kmart and, and, and their neighbors to complain. You know, this is like the real life of, yeah, yeah. of, of actually getting out and selling something. So pretty much uh, for me, I'm only interested in, in people, unless they're really wealthy and, and have money to throw around, I'm interested in people who have a business that they want to start and the patent's part of the business. Because otherwise, the, uh, the, the chances of success are really small. I mean, that's part of why I became a patent attorney was, oh, I've got so many ideas. How can I might as well learn how to do this myself, right? And so now I have, you know, quite a you know, few dozen patents. But... Uh, turning them into money is not, you know, is far rare and far between. It basically has to be, uh, uh, the cost of a patent can be quite high. You know, getting a full patent, getting it filed is just the first step. And then there's back and forth with the patent office for a few years. So just off the top of my head, you might spend twenty or $25,000 getting a patent and over four, three to five years. And unless you have a business behind that, it doesn't, it's really expensive wallpaper, <laughs> you know, $25,000 a square foot is, is a lot, right? Um, so that's, so, so for the, for somebody who's got an idea who wants to start a business. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, there are things you can do to initially protect yourself without putting the big money out. And that's really the tactic. And that's a lot of what I talk about with my early stage clients. These are Silicon Valley startups, which is a different class than a, start, a business, a startup business in a different environment other than Silicon Valley. And I'll talk a little bit in a minute about what the difference is there. But the, the basic idea is to get a little bit of protection, and you can do that with something called a provisional patent application. Uh, there's some good books. Uh, Nolo Press has some book called Patent Pending 24 Hours. That means 24 hours of work, yeah. <laughs> not 21 day. Right? <laughs> um, and uh, But the uh, easiest thing to do is get advice from a patent attorney spend a few hours of their time, you know, two to three hours, uh, working with them, get an outline, get them to give you an outline, write some patent claims, which are part of the patent. Uh, and then you have to go and write a 30 page paper. Right. And I go, a lot of people, I, I remind them that they haven't written a 30 page paper in a long time. <laughs> it's not like the thing most, unless you're a writer, you, you don't really do. So, um, yeah, then write what you have and get it filed and, you know, a, a reasonable budget, depending on how much help you get is one to $2,000 on a project like that. And that lasts for one year. That's it? it? Starts Just one a, year? Un, it lasts for one year, and that is a non-extendable clock. So that means you have one year, you file it, and the day after you file it, you've got to be marketing and working in the streets and getting pitching your idea and seeing if it'll sell, see if it has legs. Because that one year, you know, 11 months later, you have to decide, do I want to take this provisional application and turn it into a full patent application? you know, which means thousands of more dollars. Um, you know, in Silicon Valley, that could mean, you know, another 15 to 20,000, depending on, on, you know, how big the application is or how much work there is to do. So you have a year to figure out if your idea is going to get legs. And then if it doesn't, you drop it. <laughs> and if it does, hopefully you've ra- you have some money, you, you see some sales, you can actually have a business reason to spend that type of money on a, on a patent attorney. And that's the strategy that, especially here in Silicon Valley, is people will have ideas, they'll put a couple of thousand down on, on it, uh, 11 months later they'll say, well, that never went anywhere. Or, oh my God, it's the next best thing, we got to convert, people are throwing money at me, I'm, I'm really happy. So that's the step you can take to get into this really expensive business if you're small time. Now, the other thing to remember is that the patents, if you think they're expensive to get, enforcing them is, is you know, 100 times more expensive. Uh, it, to litigate a patent, you're looking at two and a half, three and a half million dollars. Right, of legal fees. It's crazy. So for my companies, my early stage companies, the reason that they're doing patents is not to go out there and enforce them against other people. Right. They, but what they want is they want to raise the value of their company so that every time they get investment from new investors or VCs and so on, they get a higher value. And then someday when they exit, which in Silicon Valley is short, you know, three, five, six years, uh, then they get a good sale price for their company because whoever acquires them, whether it's Apple or Google or Facebook, then you get uh, a good patent portfolio who can really make the big difference on your exit. And that's when that's when I, my goal is to pay for myself every time the company ra- raises money, but really to make the big difference on exit. And I've seen cases where the patent portfolio 
you know, there's a couple of companies in a space about to be bought, and the one with the better patent portfolio, mine, <laughs> uh, gets bought, yeah. you know, close to $400 million, you know, a less than three-year-old company. Uh, the other competitor closes their doors and sold, is sold off to creditors, right? It, it, it dies, right? Because there's only going to be one buy. So it can make a huge difference in the outcome. And that's the goal of the patents in my area. And then for larger companies, you know, they use it, you know, Apple will fight Samsung and so on. They'll, they'll use it competitively in a different space. But that's, from my point of view, that's really the area of patents. I do have some clients that are, you know, 30-year-old family companies in, you know, in Oklahoma, right? Uh, and they, you know, they compete, they may be a family company, but they compete worldwide. Um, and they're big enough, they've been around for 30 years, and they, they know they will do patents, and they will compete with them around the world and, and uh, you know, use them strategically. But that's because they've been around. For a small company, it's usually not the best, it's not always the best choice. Um, often keeping things trade secrets better. But then, of course, they need to be really vigilant about that and have all their employees sign the right agreements and documents and and control, you know, control their their secrets. Uh, but those those are the the differences. Patents are, are expensive game to play, and it is a lot different for a startup in Silicon Valley where you plan to exit in a few years versus a company that somebody wants to grow and and own for twenty years. And, yeah, it's like, you know, if you're somebody like me who has a, an idea like at least once a week, you know, like I'd literally write a note on the whiteboard. If I was going to get patents for every single idea that I get, I'll be broke because it's just, you know, it's just I get ideas all the time. And I call it, you know, in my industry, we call it shiny object syndrome. You know, like I have the power to run traffic to anything. You know what I mean? So it's like I get ideas. I'm like, I can run traffic to that and make money. Or I can do this and make money, you know. Uh, but that's uh, that's an interesting. I didn't think about it the way you brought it up. The real way to use it, which is that exit strategy, to have the patents in the portfolio to bring the value of the company up, and say, hey, we own all these patents. Which, of course, now that I think about it, it makes complete sense. One of the things ways I look at it, you know, with company or with people who have ideas and they, I, I get them to file a provisional application. I tell them, look, if you go a year trying to sell this you know, and really working at it, and you you find that people aren't willing to give you money, think about it, because you just spent a year of your life, mm -hmm. right? And you're trying to get 50 grand investment for somebody. Now, which was worth more? Um, you know, the the real valuable thing is the time that we all spend every day, right? And, and as you're saying, you might have tons of ideas, but do you have a year, you know, to put every weekend in and, you know, every evening in to to pitching that idea and making it into a business. Right. That's the that's the real valuable thing. It's not, you know, that you have that only you can spend. So now when we're talking about big companies like Google, Facebook, Apple, and they have they they always have all these patents for like, you know, stuff years ahead of where we're at right now. And you always see it in the tech news and stuff like that. Like, oh Apple file a patent for this wireless whatever. I'm just saying that just to say it. But is that their way of locking up ideas and are they just in an endless patent war in the courts? Uh, because I'm sure they're the two of them are after the same things and they're similar in a way. How does that work? Uh, does that make sense what I'm asking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, when the big guys fight against each other, there's often, you know, settlements and agreements and they'll, you know, 
company A will trade. It's basically getting, it's like playing poker. You have a, a, a bunch of hands in your, uh, cards in your hand, right? And the more patents you have, the more cards. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the other guy and say, okay, well, I've got this and you've got that. Let's play nice here. And, and you know, they actually can uh, do cross license agreements and stuff like that, that enables them to function as businesses, right? They're, um, and But occasionally they'll, you know, they'll get stuck on something and go to loggerheads and boom, boom, all of a sudden you, you read about these big court cases and they can make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, usually it's, uh, even though they are sometimes big numbers, it's, you know, in each each business, those are companies that make, you know, a huge amount of Yeah, cash. Apple has plenty and, of money in the bank. <laughs> they can afford it. You know, I've seen... I've seen my small clients go up against a couple of big companies and win. Wow. You know, if it's, if it's a slam dunk, yeah. Um, I'm thinking right now of a pet product, right? And Petco lost. They pulled the... Really? They pulled the, yeah, product. Which brings me to my next choice. question because I, I was always told, and I, I'm not going to lie, I don't even remember if I Googled it at one point, but I was always told, and I don't know, it's somehow I got in my head from... And, since I can remember since I was in college or something. Somebody told me or either looked it up or something that if there's a patent and you change it by 10%, it's fair game. Is that true or is that a lie? Or is that just like, ah. you know what I mean? So let's let's talk about what's patentable. <laughs> so in order to have something patentable, it has to be new, right? It has to be something somebody didn't bef do before, um, you know, publish or make or use in public or, or you know, and I'll tell you the history of that. You know, what does it mean to use something in public? And, and there's a, and in law, we have the, the idea of these cases that happened, in, you know, years ago. And they, they, we look to that to see what the judges decided. And that's what we call case law and, and what, you know, the rules are now. And the rule there is back from in the 1800s where somebody invented using whalebone in a corset, right? In a woman's corset. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the woman, his wife, wore it out on the street, right? And even though somebody, of course, she had her her frock over it, but but some, you know, that was considered public use because it was modifying the shape of making her look slim and and whatever they wanted uh, back in those days. So public use could mean you know using software on a website in the back end where people don't really see it, but that's still use in public. Um, if you wanted to. It, there are some exceptions, like if you want to, if you're testing a road, right? You've got a new asphalt. Uh, you might find an a experimental use uh, ex exemption, where even though it's in public, it's it's for experimental purposes. Because the only way to really test road asphalt is on a real road, right? You kind of put it down and see what happens. So that's the type of thing that. Um, so it's got to be new, um, but it also has to be non-obvious. Right. So when you say change something by 10 percent, it depends on the 10 percent. I mean, what would and there's it's it's not it's not an objective standard. It's, it's a subjective standard. So what would be obvious and what isn't obvious? So um, using. OK, now I'm stuck. <laughs> now you're going blank. I'm um, sure you can come up with something. Yeah. OK, here's here's an example. I got a coffee mug here. Right. All right. So Jared. Coffee. So a having those little cubes, those little uh, cup things that you put in a dispenser, was that obvious? Yeah. I mean, 30 years ago when it was invented. I mean, the coffee machines, 
Mr. Coffee coffee drip machines have been around for decades. Right. Right. But nobody put those little things that you could just drop in and push a button. That's true. Okay. Right. So probably not so obvious because it went a long time without being done. Yeah. I mean, everything was there and, and there were obviously they became really popular. And so that's all ev evidence that it wasn't obvious because it was really successful. And, and, um, but, but that's an example. And we could look at things in software was, uh, uh, I have a case right now where uh, we have a company called HyperKey, and they have a virtual keyboard that you can download, and uh, it gives you a bunch of function keys. So I could be texting, text messaging with you on any messenger, and part of my keyboard would have a Yelp button and a Dropbox button, and I can hit the Yelp button and pick out a restaurant and, and instantly take the content and drop it into your into the conversation, or I can hit Dropbox and grab a link and just send you a file right there while I'm texting you. And it could be on any, that's you know, cool. it could be on WeChat, <laughs> I don't know it could how be on Facebook, work, anywhere, cool. boom, boom, boom. Yeah, so that's an app. So the question is, how obvious is it to put function keys that, that execute other apps on the phone? It's kind of cool because you're actually, normally on the phone, you only execute one app at a time. Yeah. But I could be doing my email editor, texting to you, bring up this link from Dropbox and drop it in there without leaving the email editor. It's kind of... Kind of cool. All right. So um, that's a an example. Is that obvious or is, is that not that obvious? And there's there's standards that have to be met. Of course, there's an, there's one more criteria that's really important with um, what's patentable. You can't patent things that are in natural in nature, right? Um, you can't like, for instance, you can't just patent a gene that's in that exists already in somebody's body. You might be able to patent using that gene as a test for a disease, right? Because that wasn't done. Especially now you bring that up. We're talking about like biohacking. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's getting so, to a whole new level. So that's a fine line, right? I didn't even think about that. You can't patent a, plant, a, a chemical that's in a plant. But you might patent the purification process and then the pure chemical itself, right? So there's, there's cancer drugs that come from tree bark, for instance. Right. It's been around forever, but but extracting it all and then putting it in a concentrate solution, using it for for cancer treatment might it is not is, is something that's definitely new. Um, you can't cancel algorithm or uh, patent an algorithm. So if it's just a pure algorithm, like doing a certain set of math steps to find uh, how risky an option investment is, that's not patentable. All right. But of course, software is mostly algorithms. So when we patent software, and about 70 to 80% of the patents I do are software, we do um, we do the process and the result. In other words, not just the method of manipulating the, the image, but um, the, the hardware, the, the, all the nuts and bolts that go behind it. Um, an example I um, was just working on yesterday was a company called CloudSight which is uh, an app, an iOS app you can download. And basically, it, it you can take a picture of something and it identifies what it is. Like a fancy, somebody's nice late, a bag, you can say oh, what the brand is and all this kind of stuff. And it's it actually runs on your phone. And I can take my phone and move it around to different objects in my, in my office here. And in real time, you know, the word of what the object is just pops up. Boom, 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 boom. I, I think I have an app like that on my phone because I was checking it out because that's the technology that Facebook uses to recognize everything on your ads. 
all your pictures and whatever you post. Yeah. Yeah. They do that type of stuff. Yeah. They look at ads and Facebook is a champion because so they had a technique where they used people to tag other people in pictures. Right. And that was the data that they used to teach their face recognition algorithms. So how a lot of when I look at AI patents, which are fun, right? a lot of it is getting the good data. How do, how do you get 10 million or in their case, probably half a billion pictures with people's names tagged. Well, you set up a system where you can tag your friends and boom. But it was like, if you think about it, like at the time, it was such a simple thing that I didn't even think, I mean, Zuckerberg's on another level. Oh, they're collecting data and they're going to use it to train an AI that will recognize you. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's like the like button, the like button, I didn't, they even said it. It's like, it was just supposed to be a like button. And then it became this huge thing that we can't like, that it's causing all this chaos. It's like... It's crazy. And you've used you've used their ad system. I right? I spent millions on their ad system. That's what I do for a living. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you try. Yeah. So right. So it is a um, a marvel. If you've ever been in there, I want to target this, and then I want to do similar groups, and I want to. And it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, well, it's I, tell, I tell clients all the time, it's like, there's a reason Zug is in front of Congress like every three months. Like, I mean, now I don't have access to what I used to in the beginning. In the beginning, I could I could see everything. Right. Uh, then the, and about a year and a half ago, they the Cambridge Analytica really thing happened. And then a lot of it got, uh, what do you call it? Uh, got taken away from us, <laughs> quote unquote. But I tell people all the time. You could target by eye color. I want people with blue eyes. You know, and, and you could, yeah, you could get really detailed. You could get, I, I joke all the time, like, I, you know, if I wanted to target somebody with, uh, give an example, like how much their house was worth or cre their credit score, what kind of car they drive, what brand, uh, you know, all that credit card, what credit card did they use, what time of the day? I mean, it was really hardcore. Uh, and then they took it away because Cambridge Analytica happened. But I tell people all the time, I'm like, it was never that... People, advertisers, for, you know, the people who got access to the details were people who hacked the API and extracted the information without their permission. People like me who used the platform to run ads, we never saw, you know, oh, Steven likes this, 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 and that, and this is how, how much money Steve has and what car. It was never like that for us. It was, it was just a pool of data that we had access to. I would say, hey... I need you to target people in Palo Alto who drive a Mercedes who make $350,000 a year or more. And they have third-party data where they will get that information as well. You know, but it was never like I could see it by the exact person. And listen. Yeah, you couldn't say Joe has this right. Mercedes and this is what Joe made. And, you never get And that. listen, the information is still there. The only difference is that the, the ads, you know, it was all manual back then. It was all by, by interest targeting signals. Now it's the AI putting two and two together and obviously learning from all the information that all advertisers and companies out there, we have pixels, the Facebook pixel and Google and everybody does it. It's a piece of code that you install in your store and sends all that information back to Facebook. And that's how the AI keeps learning and learning and learning. And at one point it's going to get to the point where, you know, I won't have a job anymore of actually running the ads themselves because, you know, the more data that they gather and they, they, it learns from it, It'll just know what to do, <laughs> you know. It's uh, it's pretty it's pretty interesting stuff. But the other question that I was going to ask you, uh, two more questions actually, because we're going to run out of time. But one, how do we deal? 
Well, I say we like I run a law firm, but how do companies deal with China? Because China is known for copying everything and they have no shame in their game. Like it's the, I mean, it's happened to me. I've had Chinese manufacturers copy my stuff and it's like, it's not even worth the legal fees to try to go after because it's going to go nowhere. Uh, but with pat, I don't have patents. So in the, when it comes to patent, it, it, is it even feasible to go after them? Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, it's pretty good. You can, there's less expensive um, things you can do that stop importing. Uh, you can threaten. So if somebody um, copies a, uh, but again, you got to look at the value, right? Um, if somebody copies a product that's making money, uh, then it's worthwhile sending letters to Walmart saying, Walmart, you're carrying this property, this product from China. Um, we have the patents here. You know, we'd be happy to give you a similar price, blah, blah, blah. Walmart. Will Ooh, I like that hustle. Right I away. like they that. Will, I would have never know, even guessed that. that. Right. In, in the neighborhood store, believe me, they'll, they'll roll over right away. Uh, it's, it's, and you got to be nice and friendly, right? You got to be not vicious. You got to make, you got to be right. Because if you threaten something and it's wrong, boy, you're on the hook for a lot of money. They'll come back and sue you and it'll be you who pays a million bucks, right? Um, so yeah, there there is some defenses. But again, it's a question of value. And I've had a client, you know, with a really cool, who went to trade shows, is selling a product, you know, it's a, it's a garlic grinder, right? And he's like, there's a guy down the, who's made one just like this, who's selling it now. You know, what am I, what can I do? And I said, and how much of this are you selling every year? Oh, 30,000. <laughs> well, you know, just to get in the door on a patent infringement, you know, we're just to make the initial threats is, is going to be that much, right? Yeah, so, so it's like, it's not even worth and it. That's why, you know, it's not as good. Patents are good for small companies. That's the, they're good. The, the people who get the best out of them are ph pharmaceutical companies. Because they spend a billion dollars on a drug, they need a strong patent not to get it ripped off. They need to, they need that protection, right? Otherwise, they're not going to invest in drugs. It's just got to be that way. Um, small and middle-sized companies really need them to defend themselves against the big guy. Otherwise, the big guy would just walk out. Anytime you do a small company would be successful, they'd just be copied by Google and Facebook and Apple and just walked all over, right? So they get in. So you know, in Silicon Valley, what happens is they get bought for a lot of money by Google, Facebook, and Apple or Amazon, right? Which is makes the founders very happy and the investors very happy. And that's the way it works, right? So in other parts of the country, so big companies like Amazon and Facebook and Apple, they file lots of patents, thousands of patents there every year. But they they don't like it so much because then because for them it's the they now worry about the little guy. And if the little guy who has patents fails as a as a business, they become a patent enforcement company instead of a, <laughs> a business. But, right. But okay, so that's a that's a good point. But and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I really want to ask this because I don't want to forget. So for example, you brought up the tech companies. Facebook wanted to buy Snapchat. Snapchat said no. So Facebook goes, you know what? We're just gonna we're just gonna fucking do it, like do our own. And it's like literally dead on copy. So is that again that fine line of Yeah, that's a negotiation. Is it that obvious didn't work, or not? Right. <laughs> right. And so um it's a matter of, of how much uh you know, oh let's just buy Instagram and WeChat, right? Um so it's a matter of um the the patents somebody's doing business decisions, they have a spreadsheet and they say if we do this, it's worth this many hundreds of million, and we do this, it's worth a billion. Right. And uh, the patents on a deal like that make a huge difference. 
right? They're going to, the, the stories idea, I'm sure there's patents all over that, right? And, you know, who's going to have it next and who's paying who a license and who's not paying. And yeah, it, and eventually it can go to court. So you're telling me that Facebook could it could it actually paid a license fee to Snapchat to do the whole story? Well, thing? who knows? License, Snapchat might have said, no, that's our bed and butter. We're not going. We want you to pay buy our whole company for you know fifteen billion or something. I don't, who knows what? I don't. I have no idea about. Right. No. I'm. I was just thinking out loud of because like how to get it. How because Facebook is notorious for like copying things. You know. So it's like I was just wondering. I mean, they have the best lawyers in the world. I'm sure. You know. Uh, so they know what they're doing. But I was just wondering that about that. There's a a book you might find interesting. Um, uh, called Zucked. Zucked? Really? <laughs> I'll write it down. I'm going to want that. Yeah. Um, and I know the author, and it, he was an early advisor to Zuck. And, um, you know, he saw the the downside. And he's a very well-known Silicon Valley person. Um, but it's Z-U-C-K-E-D. <laughs> Zucked. And uh, it talks about, and it's now a few years old, it talks about really how Facebook is using your your information to make a lot of money and leverage and and in the end we can yeah, yeah. right yeah. okay so you you trade something <laughs> for all that free software oh right? yeah no i know trust me I've, I've been doing this since facebook became pretty much public so i know that i mean i know most of it i know it's been like that for a long time um the other thing i wanted to ask you was that seems to be very popular to is patent trolls like people actually, some people actually make a living of suing others for patents or claiming that the patent is theirs. I mean, if it's so expensive. Well, they buy the patent. How does that work? So so if you're, let's say you're an individual inventor. I've had clients do this. Um, I had a client in the power storage space uh, a few years ago who had built a, a pretty nice portfolio, probably spent $250,000, $300,000 building the nice family of, of patents on batteries. And he ended up selling that portfolio to a company that's in the business of enforcing because that individual inventor didn't have a few million dollars to sue the battery makers. But this patent, so the, the fact that enforcing patents is so expensive has allowed for a business where there's a middleman that says, oh, I'm going to buy up all these patents and not just one group, but I'm going to buy five sets of patents in this one space and then take that whole portfolio and go after the big manufacturers and sue them. And so they saw an inefficiency in the market, right, where uh, it's it's not it's still going on a lot, um, but not as much. The courts have kind of pushed back a little bit. If you're if you're the inventor suing, you actually have a little bit better position now than if you're a patent enforcement company. But in some ways, these guys just found an efficiency in the market, right? Because because the battery companies would ignore my client. They're like, who are you? I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to answer an email, right? But when, um, you know, once it goes into litigation, I, I'm sure they could have bought that portfolio for a much less than is being spent in the, in the litigation. Yeah. <laughs> they could have bought the whole thing, right? Um, but yeah, that's that's a pretty common. Um... That makes sense because there, there was a scam going on for a while there, uh, and it actually happened to me. Uh, but you know, luckily I'm married to somebody in the biz, so uh, they were going around uh, e-commerce stores and websites. And even though you got the images used on the site, because sometimes people use on their websites like royalty-free 
you know, images and you get it from like Adobe and stuff like that. So what they were doing is you will get an email and it looked legit with like a law firm, you know, extension on it. And it's like, oh, you're using a copyright image. You have to pay us royalties or we're going to sue you. And unfortunately, a lot of people who are new to this or they don't know any better, they fall for it. And it's like a legit law firm. Like that, this is how they do. I mean, you know, and one day I got hit up, two of my stores got hit up and I was like, oh, really? I was like, let me see that email. And uh, actually one of my best friends, she's my actual attorney. Uh, and I was like, hey, do you want to play with this? He's like, oh yeah, let me see that. And she just went back at him. And then they came back at her one more time and then she's like, and then they just disappear because it's a, it's a scam. It's yeah, a yeah, complete yeah, scam, no. you know? It, it can be, yeah. And there are situations where I've seen it be correct. Like, oops, uh, we're supposed to get that from Google. I mean, if you, you can search royalty-free images in Google and supposedly everything there is royalty-free, but there's nothing really stopping somebody posting something there, calling it royalty-free when they've taken it from somewhere else. So you can't be 100% sure. You need to be ready. You either get it from Getty Images or a quality source Oh, like these were that. from Adobe. So that's what I was like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so Adobe, if Adobe is selling you the image, then you just hand the letter to Adobe, right? Um, so yeah, when you use images in your ad content or stuff, you need to make sure that you used it properly. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying there, there's people out there who are trying, if you know the sources, right, do do your research and don't fall for it. That's all I'm saying. No, we get we get hit, attorneys get hit a lot by, um, oh, I've got, I want to send you, I'm going to send you a cashier's check. Please keep half of it and oh, send yeah, me the rest. Uh, I've got a settlement with this company in, in the Philippines, you know, send, send it, wire it to Russia. And then, you know, of course, <laughs> no. Come on, guys. Yeah. All right, Steve. Listen, man, we're out of time. It's been almost an hour, but listen, thank you so much for coming on and answering all my questions about this. Uh, was... Yeah, next time we'll do trademarks. Yes, we'll do trademarks. That's another good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, Stephen, if people want to find you, if they have a business that they want to look into, maybe get in a patent or defend themselves, where can they find find you? Yeah, um, Ramon Law. I assume you'll have a link. Yep, we'll put the links in the this. description. No worries. Uh, yeah, link, link, and I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. Stephen Colby, and I sh I'm pretty easy to find. I have a big following on LinkedIn. Uh, that's a good way to contact me. And um, it's good. We Ramon has about 33 locations around the oh, world. Oh, wow. Uh, we are we are a semi-virtual law firm, and we've been a semi since its founding for, you know. So it's so it's nice. Um, I, it was a, it's good time to be in a firm that was that's all set up for working remotely anyway. But this is our norm. So, so yeah, it's lucky. It's, yeah. Re it's really cool. Like somebody can just contact and do it all over, you know, from anywhere in the world. So, and you, you guys deal with anybody, anything in the, in the world or just the U.S.? No, everywhere, all over. E Europe, Eastern Europe, South America, Asia. Okay, cool. So I have a lot of people from Europe that listen to this and watch this. So that's all I was asking. Yeah, great. We're there. <laughs> that's cool. All right, guys and girls, if you are looking to get a patent or you're working for a business, tech, startup or whatever that's being BC backed, and you, you need to protect yourselves. Make sure you reach out to Steve on LinkedIn or the link description uh, in the description below. And Steven, thank you so much for coming on again. I really, really, truly appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure.